0: Some of the fondest and some of the most stirring recollections of the Bible gather around the old wells of the Bible. One of the earliest of which we hear is what might be called the Well of Providence. It was there that Hagar, the young handmaiden of Sarah, had been driven to the wilderness. She was driven there because of the jealous anger of Sarah. She fell down in despair on her face in anguish in the desert. It was there in that desert that God spoke to Hagar. It was there that God comforted her. It was there in that hot, dry, burning desert that God showed her a well of water. Then there's another favorite well of the Bible. And that's a well that is one that we might call the well of romance. Traveling from the west, from Bethel, Jacob was a fugitive. And he came to a well in far off Mesopotamia. He happened to be at that well in Mesopotamia at the very moment that the lovely and beautiful Rachel came there to water her sheep. When Jacob saw her, he kissed her and lifted up his voice and he wept. That well in Mesopotamia is the well of romance. Another unforgettable well is the well of Bethlehem. David was a fugitive. He was an outlaw. He was being pursued by the gloomy and jealous Saul, the king. David and his men found themselves hiding in a stronghold near Bethlehem. And David began to think of his boyhood days and the old well there that he had drawn water from. The water he would given to his sheep and the water he drank himself a feeling of homesickness swept over David. And David longed for a drink from that well. And some of his gallant followers hurried over to the well and brought him the water. And yet, when David received that water, he realized that that water had been secured by them at the risk of their lives. And he wouldn't drink it but rather he poured it out as an offering unto the Lord. We could call that well near Bethlehem the well of memory. And then that brings us to another well, the well of Jacob. A well that is made immortal by an arresting story you'll find in the fourth chapter of the gospel according to John. There's so much in that story. So much in that story that charms the imagination. Not because it amuses us, but because it has so much truth in it. And it's as if the truth in that story leaps off the pages and lays claim on our own lives. Jesus is on His way from Judea into Galilee. And the road led through Samaria. Samaria. In that day and time, there were a lot of very straight-laced Jews that would take a very long detour to go to Galilee. Because these very straight-laced Jews would go to any lengths necessary to make sure they did not defile themselves by passing through the country inhabited by those despised, mongrel Samaritans. Jesus, He was not troubled by those kind of prejudices and bigotries. Jesus and His disciples arrived at that village of Sychar about noon. He was tired. They were tired. They were all hungry and they were thirsty. The disciples went off into the village to buy food and that left Jesus there by Himself. At the well. He's weary. He's thirsty. But he can get no water from the historic well of Jacob. You see, he has no rope. And he has no bucket. And he has nothing with which to reach that cool, soothing, clear water in that well. But he looks off in the distance. And yonder off in the distance, Jesus sees a figure approaching. And as it comes closer, he realizes that that person that's approaching, that figure approaching the well is a woman, a Samaritan woman. And she's come to the well to draw water. And yet, she shouldn't be at the well this time of day. You see, it's around noon. It's the heat of the day. Most of the women of the village, when they would come to the well to draw water, would come in the coolness of the evening. And then she was a part of that mongrel race of Samaritans. In the ancient world, it was... Hard to find a conversation between a Jew and a Samaritan. But Jesus is thirsty. And he doesn't have anything to drink from. So he asks this woman for a drink of water. And she's taken aback by it. She's somewhat puzzled by his request. And so she chooses to question him. When it might have been just easier to give him a drink of water, we do that sometimes, don't we? And as the conversation progresses, you begin to realize the suspicious nature of this woman. You see her cynical attitude as it comes through. Because you see this woman is a person whose life has been warped or twisted or hurt on some very deep level. And folks whose lives have been twisted or warped or hurt on some deep level oftentimes have a sharp tongue and a very grim skepticism about life. Let's be honest. All of us have known someone like that in our lives. People that have strong opinions. People that don't smile very much. People that drive a really hard bargain. They don't know how to accept a gift because they don't want to feel obligated to anybody. They don't trust easily because they've been hurt. And having been hurt, they're going to make sure that doesn't ever happen again. Suspicious, cynical, grim people. People for whom life has too little joy and way too much pessimism. I think that woman of Samaria is like that. Maybe it's because her life has been so tough. I mean, after all, this woman has a somewhat sordid reputation. You know that from the story. And probably her friendships are almost non-existent. And she says what she wants to say because life really can't hurt her much more than it already has. But on that particular day, Jesus had an uncommon conversation with that woman. Jesus met that outcast woman at Jacob's well. And you know what Jesus did? He offered hope to her. And He offered healing to her. And folks, that conversation is not just for her. That conversation has meaning in my life and yours. She tells Jesus, What are you talking to me for? You're a Jew and Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. Everybody knows that. Jesus says if you knew who it was asking you for a drink, you'd have a whole different attitude. He tells her if she'd have asked Him, He would have given her living water. That's a powerful moment in the story. And the woman doesn't even understand it. She thinks, what could this man possibly mean? What could this Jew possibly mean by living water? Then what's the implication of his notion that if she recognized who he really is, that she'd ask for water rather than argue about drawing a cup of water for him because he's a Jew and she's a Samaritan. Now with the illumination of 2,000 years that have passed, we understand what Jesus meant, don't we? We know who Jesus was. He was the Messiah, the Savior, the Redeemer, all of those things. He was Jesus. He was the Son of God. He was the light of the world. He was the Master. We're pretty smart, aren't we? Because we know all that. We're not really all that smart, folks. We know how to say the words and we know how to phrase the titles but like that puzzled woman in the well at the well that day often in our day and time folks aren't sure Jesus has anything to offer that they really want that might be one of the saddest things in our modern 21st century version of christianity is that by and large, Christian people, folks that claim to be Christian people, they don't really feel like Jesus has anything for them. We could really use a Jesus. And we could really trust a Jesus who might help us get ahead a little bit. Or might help us maybe get a promotion on a job that we might be on. We could find some time for a Jesus that would take us in the spotlight or a Jesus that would put us in the seat of power. But sometimes, I don't think we really know what to do with all of the spiritual part that Jesus seems to be so intent on pushing on us. I'm afraid that oftentimes in our modern day, Folks are as afraid of Jesus as that woman in Sychar was that day by that well. Have you ever thought, have we ever considered the difference it would make if we could just turn loose and let God be God in our lives? If we could just give up self and let God have compassion, Complete control over us. There's so often so much waiting for us that we're going to miss blessings like a richer joy, a stronger courage, or a surer peace. You see, we often think in our world that those kind of things come with the toys in our toy box. They're not blessings that come with our piety and devotion to God. But if you read the story, and I hope you'll go home and read it again. We're all familiar with it. Notice in that story how the woman, she tries to push Jesus away. The conversation starts to get a little too close to her heart. Jesus asked her to go get her husband. She says, I have no husband. Jesus says, I know that. You don't. He tells her, you've had five husbands, but now all you have is a lover and not a husband. Guess what? That woman that day by that well in Sychar, she did not want the conversation to take that kind of a turn. So she does the only sensible thing there is to do. She does exactly what you and I would have done. She tried to change the subject. You know, like the politician one time being interviewed by a newspaper reporter. And the reporter says, I have a question. Why is it that you politicians, when we ask you a question, you always seem to answer a question with a question? politician looked at him and said, do I do that? That's what this woman does that day. She wants to change the subject. So what she does is she challenges Jesus with that long debated subject of Jews and Samaritans. The debate about the proper place of worship. But Jesus doesn't take the bait. He informs her. He says true worship doesn't require a particular place. That true worship requires a particular spirit. He says God's a spirit and they that worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. You know, sometimes it seems so much easier to deal with church as an institution rather than dealing with church as a subject and church as a place for Christlikeness. Sometimes it just seems so much easier to debate the faith than to live by the faith. And when we feel like somebody's digging a little too deep into our private inner world, what do we do? We change the subject. You see, we don't want to deal with it. We don't want to have to deal with emotions. And we don't want to have to deal with guilt. And we don't want to have to deal with unresolved hurts. And oftentimes we don't want to deal with unrepented sin. Sometimes it's just so much easier to change the subject than it is to change our lives. This woman that day, this woman with Jesus by that well at Sychar, she wanted to change the subject so she wouldn't have to change her life. Problem was, Jesus wasn't buying what she was selling. You see, when we come face to face with Jesus, we are the subject. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Master. And to live in the presence of Jesus is to Live a changed lives. I'm going to say something here you've probably never heard before. We must make Jesus the Lord and Master of our lives. We surrender to a kind of servanthood. We can try to change the subject. We can try to debate the issues. We can ask questions. We can avoid making a decision. But ultimately, we have to kneel at the feet of Jesus in loving obedience. Nothing peaceful will happen in our lives until we stop changing the subject. And with a surrendered self and obedient faith, let God be God in our lives. That day, by that well in Sychar, Jesus revealed himself to that woman. She told Jesus, when the Messiah comes, he's going to make all things plain. And basically, Jesus said, who do you think you're talking to? And as you read the rest of the story, you find out just how drastically her life changed that day. She dropped her water pots and she went running into the city. She forgot all about why she'd come to the well and she goes running into the city and she starts telling the people in the city, I've met Jesus Having met Jesus, she starts to tell people about the marvelous gift of God. Have you ever noticed something in this story that is so unlike Jesus Christ? Jesus did not commonly admit to people that He was the Messiah. But He tells this woman of Samaria... Maybe. Just maybe, as Jesus looked deep into her heart, he sees in her a yearning that she has that he can redeem. As Jesus looks into her heart, he sees a life he can reclaim from an ugly past and redeem for a glorious future. As he looked into her heart, Jesus saw this woman. This woman's ready for a new beginning. And the question that we have to face this morning is, are we giving God the very best that we've got to give Him? Have we really fully, completely surrendered to God in obedient faith? Is Jesus really the Lord and Master of our lives? Has Jesus really made a difference for us? If He hasn't, and you need to change that, this is the opportunity to do it as we stand and while we sing.